Well, that's the thing about motorcycles. They're, they're an unforgiving environment. You know, if you, if you don't have the brains to operate the throttle and the clutch in the correct order, you can have all kinds of problems. All kinds of problems. George Tekmachev here with Steve the... Oh, we're not supposed to do that anymore. BS. We can say it all we want. I've had a lot of people talk to me about that. Oh, you've had a lot of people talk to you yeah, about that. Yeah, maybe three. That's a lot. That's 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 could be two-thirds of our <laughs> or, listeners. Or, yeah, exactly. Three out of four podcast listeners don't want to hear that. They will have you roll right into it. All right, fine. I guess we're going to roll right into it. Hey, I'm George, and I'm here with Steve, the former big cat, Anderson. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> all right. You're still the big cat. We so, are receptive to listeners' comments, though. I mean, up to a point. Up to a point. Within yeah. reason. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So, Steve, uh, indoor season. As I look outside, I see clouds. I see rain. I see. Uh, I see every incentive. It, unless you're within a thousand miles of the equator, or you're living below the equator. You know, you're living in the uh, New Zealand or Australia or Brazil. Um, you know, unless you're reading this in Chile or hearing this in Chile. Uh, you're probably thinking about indoor season right now. Yeah, it's uh, it is upon us. If you don't believe me, just look at your Facebook news feed. You know, for a lot of people, yeah, your Facebook news feed. We talked about that a while back. Are still we seeing, beef, I'm still beefing on that. Are we yeah. seeing a lot of 288s with you know 12xs on on Facebook? Is that what's going on? Oh no, it's mostly you know 330xs. But day one at Vegas, a lot of them will be 288s. You know, and that's the problem. I mean, it goes back to our our podcast from a few episodes ago. What is that? What, what, what's the point of putting more pressure on yourself by showing your, you know, your Facebook followers or whoever that you can shoot a 300 in practice? What is the point? I, I don't know. It's ego. Maybe self-image ego. Yeah, but you know what I've noticed is Navy SEALs don't talk about what they do. No. And 300 shooters don't post them on Facebook very often. No. Um, you know, one one guy actually mentioned this to me. I made a, I made a joke about it on my Facebook page and... Uh, Sondra Dolderman actually mentioned to me, he said, you know, there's one guy, if he posts a, f- a Facebook score, I believe it. There's one guy. And it was, uh, it was Chris Perkins. He oh, was okay. About. Yeah. yeah. Well, Chris Perkins posts a 330 X. Yeah. Because yeah, he can turn around and do it. He can do it. Yeah. You don't, you don't see, uh, you know, the Rios, the Jessies, they don't tend to post scores, you know, they kind of just, uh, show up at tournaments and, and post scores. Yeah. And post scores there. So, all right. I tried to follow the same. Uh, path with that so you know I, I don't know how you feel about indoor archery I, I used to uh, I used to look at it as sort of a necessary evil and when I lived in New York you know you'd spend six months of the year shooting indoors at 18 meters with the cigarette smoke and the you know the the league night and and um, the social camaraderie that went with that which is actually desirable not the smoke part but the you know it's nice to shoot a league because a weeknight league does a couple things. One, it motivates you to practice. And two, it gets you used to a certain amount of competition pressure because mm-hmm. you got people watching and you know maybe you've got a uh, friendly wager on the side or you've got some other motivation to, to try to shoot well. And uh, so I think that can be really good. And uh, at the same time, you've got other shooters out there that just hate it. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, the game itself, the indoor game, it's pretty monotonous, but it is – it is a fun game for what it is, I think, because you have to go into it knowing you cannot miss. So you touched on something that I want to make sure we don't forget before the end of the discussion, which is how to have fun while doing something which is admittedly at times a bit of a grind. 
it, a little monotonous. Yeah, if you're trying to be competitive at it, yeah, it is. It is a grind. So let's we'll we'll come back to that. Yeah. But, um, I think that a lot of shooters feel like taking a break around this time too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, most people will take three, four weeks off. You know, kind of recharge the batteries, maybe go hunting, switch it up a little bit. Well, yeah, different. That's true, and you know, most of our listeners are in the U.S., but we've got quite a few outside, and yeah. their hunting is not an option. No, and uh, and I don't hunt, for example. I, I do you? Are you uh, a on occasion, yeah, yeah. not when me. Time allows. Yeah, so no, I'm not not interested in bow hunting. Just don't. I just it's not my cup of tea. It's not. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not being hypocritical about it. I enjoy meat just as much as anybody, but uh, I just don't feel like going out there and doing that. So yeah, I, I like the shooting part of archery. So yeah. I tend to end up bow hiking. I kind of just walk around yeah. with a bow in hand and never <laughs> carrying shoot your bow, <laughs> taking your bow out for a walk. Yeah, but you know, unless you've made some specific goals, it can be hard to get the motivation needed to plug away day after day, right after you finish the outdoor season. Yeah, that's why stuff like indoor leagues are fun because it uh provides that element of competition besides just going and beating your head against the target butt and trying to put up you know score after score after score so you know i've, I've said in the past I, I think it's a good time to take a break and get some of the cobwebs cleared out we we have a couple of friends uh, from the french team that decided to do that a little earlier this year than than most years i suppose like pj yeah pj and um i i suspect that when pj comes back he's going to be stronger mm-hmm yeah, um, it, it uh I think sometimes a, a long break can help with you know, finding your, your shot execution. If you've worked really hard to build a good shot, um and you and you've got that down, then you know, you take it it starts to go away, it starts to degrade a little bit. You take a break sometimes, you come back and you find it again. Clear the cobwebs, clear up any bad habits that might have crept in over time. Maybe adjust your attitude in a positive way a little bit. Yeah, that always helps too. When you wanna grab the bow and go shoot that is that's a great feeling when you want when you feel motivated when you really want to go and and practice you know and um if you've been in the sport for a number of years that may be very strong still but some people find that starts to wane a little bit and nothing like a break to kind of reset that a little um but you know i think that if you do take a break that substituting another physical activity Mm -hmm. getting on the ktm dirt bike yeah or um, bicycling, I, mm-hmm. I think weightlifting has its place. Yeah. Um, something physical that can help your support base for archery. Now, I, I'm not sure about the dirt bike part, but <laughs> you know, something that I, personally, I I, uh, I go out and I shoot action pistol this mm-hmm. time of year because for me, you know, it's it's both an aerobic activity and a a a, uh, a aiming sport a kind of thing, activity. precision activity yeah. and. So for me, this time of year, this is that's what I do, you know. But for other people, they might want to get on a bicycle, or they might want to go running, or they might want to do something else. I think it's important to stay active mm-hmm. during the time you're taking a break from archery. No, hundred percent. Yeah, I've tried to in the last couple of weeks get back on a uh, a regular diet, a regular exercise schedule. When you're when you're traveling a lot, it uh, it really sucks to try to maintain all that. Oh, yeah. So it's good to be home for a little while and be able to do that stuff and. And uh, if you can get it going, and through indoor season, yeah, I feel like I'm not as I'm not on the road as much, right? Um, so that's good, you know. But well, we've got a busy January ahead. Though. Yeah, January is a nightmare. So kind of, I think maybe I we got to kind of prep ourselves specifically for the month of January. I think you're right. 
because anything we do between now and then will get more than made up for during that month. Yeah. We've got a weekend away at the ATA show, followed by the Lancaster shoot, followed by Neem, followed by Vegas. Boom, 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 boom. And um, a little a switch up on the Neem and Lancaster. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, yeah. yeah Neem we'll, first, then Lancaster. Yeah. It's like, I mean, if you're uh, an American shooter traveling over to Neem, come back on a Monday. Um, Lancaster starts on Friday, so you're probably going to take off Thursday. So you only have a few days in between. Then you get home on a Monday, you take off for Vegas on Wednesday again. There's. I mean, a three-week stretch where you have basically two down days and you're going to be doing laundry and scrambling to make changes to setups or, or whatever it is you, you know, feel you need. This and, is like first-world problems, though. 100%. Because, yeah. you know, this woe is me stuff. Now, people are out there, they're like, oh, I'd love to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They think they would anyway. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it most definitely is a first-world problem. And and, and uh, thank goodness we, we can deal with it. Yeah, world archery a, a world archer problem, not world archery. Right. A world archer problem. Right. You know, a lot of folks are getting ready for uh, the Indoor World Cup. That's becoming more and more important. Yeah, we're seeing uh, a lot of people head to those. I I remember last year we had a good number of American shooters made their way over to Bangkok. I don't think you'll see that this year. Um, Just because of the length so, of the season? A length of season, and everyone kind of went hard this year. You know, a lot of people – chasing world championship trials and, and things like that. Well, and, that's what I meant. I mean, you know, it's been such a grueling yeah. season this particular year that, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just got back 48 hours ago from, you know, sitting in an aluminum tube over the Pacific for, <laughs> you know, for a day. Yeah. And I have no desire to get on an airplane anytime soon, but I have to. I've got to go to the uh, Asian championship uh, in three weeks. Yeah, so we always seem to be loading back onto a plane. Oh, huh? Lordy. But, you know, the, the, the thing is, everybody this season – on the circuit has had a, I would say once in 10 year schedule. Yeah. It was you know? unreal. Yeah. This, this season was unreal. Is everything pretty well sorted out now? I think we do have a lull, right? There's no major outdoor thing going on right now. Uh, just world cup final in about three weeks. Yeah. So no, Yeah. I mean, that's a 32 competitors. So major. Yeah. Major for most, no. Right. But for those people participating, <laughs> yeah. including your wife, congratulations, yeah. uh, Linda Ochoa, making it to the final there. Um, it's going to be a, a spectacular show in three weeks uh, down in Mexico City. Should be good, yeah. We'll see uh, see what goes down, and we'll probably have a better preview of that uh, leading up to but, it, I assume. But just to get back to this off-season concept, right, mm -hmm. just taking the time off, if if you're going to engage in a physical training program, you know, not everybody's doing that, right? I mean, people like Brady, people like Zach down at the training center, um, most of your international top shooters in recurve, and I'm not so sure about compound, but for sure in recurve, are, are just weightlifting animals this time of year. You know, they're, they're working on upper body. They're working on lower body. The Koreans are definitely working on lower body this time of year. Um, and if you're engaging in a physical training program and you're serious about your archery this might be the time to start ramping it up a little bit on the strength building and on the weightlifting beyond what you might do during competition season yeah um some stuff that i learned from my days in collegiate track and field was you know you you actually have to train your body to handle a certain workload so what you can do right now might be very minimal when you add shooting into the mix but you know as you as you increase that workload, you you're essentially getting in shape to get in shape. Right. So you can then handle more work. You have more capacity for work 
and something like the gym in six months won't affect your shooting yeah and it like could, it would today right right the other consideration is now it's not important so if you do do the workouts now it doesn't affect your score the way it would if you were doing a heavy workout weightlifting for example during the season right that's why a lot of top shooters tail off on the yeah on the weightlifting during the season now you know naturally um you want to consult with a qualified trainer or your coach before you change your routine but you don't have to hold back so much on the heavy lifting during this yeah. off season time the the recurvers i imagine you know being so position based with their shot execution you got to be careful with with what you're doing and how you might change your body with the compound it's uh you know we're so uh, our, our focus is aim and execution well, but it's not so much position it, it is but it it's not at so, the same time so let me ask you a question that could be a little controversial or something and 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 i just you know i'll throw it out there we have some friends in this sport compound shooters who have dropped a lot of weight it's had an impact on performance they've added some of the weight back on that's had an impact on performance what's your general philosophy there mm it's hard to say i mean cuz everyone's so it's individual. individual yeah but if uh i mean anytime you go through a a quick change to your body everything is affected not just shooting i mean everything and uh yeah I, I think that's to be expected um so i try <laughs> personally you know coming into the off season i'd like to get back into a little better shape and i think that places that takes prominence over you know archery shooting I, I i don't expect that if i'm out in the gym that i'm going to see a whole lot of difference in you know the way i shoot but maybe if i'm getting stronger i don't i don't know maybe i have to make my bow heavier i don't i haven't gone through that yet you know i haven't yeah. uh haven't messed with that because I, I i do believe there's a big difference between being physically strong and being archery strong okay so it uh it's hard to replicate the strength you build shooting your bow and yeah. holding your bow up. i'm with you 100 on that yeah. there's very few exercises that you can do outside of shooting the bow that are the same as shooting the bow mm -hmm. i guess if you got on a cable machine and mm. you were doing a pole with one arm and holding Maybe. a dumbbell up with the other <laughs> and there's stuff you can do with water bottles and, you know, there's strength, there's core strength stuff you can do. Yeah. And there's other stuff you can do that emphasizes, um, your support structure, but yeah, there's nothing quite like actually shooting to, uh, to get your archery strong, as you put it, archery strong, put it. Yeah. archery strong. I like that. In fact, I think that would make a good t-shirt. All right. So here, here it comes from someone other than us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Because, you know, we're, we're never going to move fast enough to make something like that happen. <laughs> Come <No>. on. <laughs> we'll have to have a committee meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So, you know, one of the things that a lot of recurve shooters do, not everybody, but a lot of recurve shooters do, is uh, they will take the opportunity to drop weight this time of year. And, and the nice thing about aluminum arrows is that you can drop 4 or 5% of your bow weight and still get it to tune. Mm -hmm. Still get it tuned capable of perfect scores indoors anyway. So, you know, if you drop your bow weight a little bit, what does that do for you? It lets you focus a little more on your execution, mm -hmm. right? A little more on your form. Um, maybe enhance your feel for the shot because you, especially with a recurve, especially with fingers, you do have to be a little cleaner yeah. when you drop weight. Yeah, we see some, some of the indoor specialists come out this time of year and they're shooting around 42 instead of around 49, 50, yep. 50, 152. You know, they're 8 to 10 pounds lighter than the typical 
male outdoor recurver or what they you know might be four or five pounds lighter than they normally would be shooting outdoors yeah so it i mean there is maybe something to that in terms of uh the execution i know a lot of guys say if they drop too much weight they lose the uh the feel at full draw sure uh they're not as they're not able to make as clean of a release but i mean that's all relative if someone can make a clean release with 42 pounds you know there's plenty of women doing that uh, on the higher end, I yeah. wouldn't say plenty, actually, more like 38, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> although, you know, uh, I, I, I was blown away the other day. I found out that Ariel Gibellaro, little Ariel is shooting like 42 pounds. Yeah. Holy smokes. Beast mode. Oh my goodness. Very impressive. <laughs> Great shooter, by the way. Well, one of the nice things about, um, about indoor season is it does let you play around with new stuff. And a lot of people like to switch to aluminum arrows. Uh, during indoor season and you know without going into a lot of spiel about the subject there's nothing more accurate than an aluminum arrow indoors nothing just there just isn't Mm -mm. and you know um even compound shooters especially maybe i'd say compound shooters steve right are going to switch to a bigger shaft indoors because you've got more to gain yeah most all of our people will be shooting an aluminum shaft indoor season you know let's let's be objective here you can buy a dozen of our X23s for the price of what three X10s, you know? Yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. So for a lot of shooters, indoor season is an opportunity to to give the outdoor arrows a rest and to pull out the less expensive aluminum arrows and to, you know, just with a minor tune change, maybe a cushion plunger change, because you gotta reset your center shot, remember? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for the compounds, you got to make sure your rest is set up correctly. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about the nitty gritty on the compound side there. When you're retuning for indoors, what's a, what's your main consideration? Uh, number one is rest blade. I actually shoot the same thickness of blade indoors and out. I shoot a ten thousand for both, um, but I definitely want a wider one. You get a lot of people who think, oh, narrow blades better. It clears the veins. Um, I I don't buy into that theory. I think having adequate support the whole way is better. Um, you know, you shoot a, a shot where you're torquing a little left or a little right, or you're a little on the move one direction or another, and a real skinny blade could get a, an arrow skidding off the, the side there. So I'm a big believer that the widest blade you can shoot is the best. So let's, uh, let's bust open a, an archery secret. And talk about veins a little bit. Okay. You up for that? Yeah, let's hear it. All right. So you know, and I know, that some of the top guys out there are using veins that are longer, maybe a little lower profile, but more flexible than a normal vein. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what's going on there. Yeah, some guys like uh, a floppy vein, you might call it. Um, it it kind of acts as, as a feather would, you know, just uh, creates more drag. Without the downside feathers. Yeah, without the, the wear of feathers. Just kind of creates more drag. Um, I don't personally use those myself. I just use a standard off the shelf diamond veins. Is that what you're using or flex oh, yeah, fletch it's, or it's an AAE four inch okay. vein. Yeah. yeah. I just, uh, and it's not overly floppy. It's not overly stiff. It's, uh, you know, kind of just the happy medium where I usually like to find myself with about anything I'm doing. And, uh, but yeah, there are some guys out there, you know, Rio likes some real soft, uh, flex fletch veins. He actually gets them picked out for him. Yeah, Wilkie was using, uh, back in the day, he was using some Easton diamond veins that were extremely thin and soft and flapped around and made a lot of noise. And, you know, he thought that was the ticket. I 
I just use a, you know, right off the shelf standard. So it's the easiest thing to get. Yeah. We just walk out to the front office and pull them off the rack. Yeah. Does it work? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So durability is not a huge issue, but I mean, no, you know, no top indoor guy is shooting tight groups. They're shooting individual spots. Yeah, you don't have to worry about banging arrows together or anything like that or passing through bales generally. If you're passing through bales with a 27, probably need to find a new club. Yeah, no doubt. So speaking of uh, indoor setups, though, uh, let's let's use you as an example. Um, you've got Vegas on your mind, and you've got Rob's tournament, the Lancaster Classic, on your mind. Uh, you're going to shoot Neem this year mm-hmm. and you're going to be shooting uh, whatever else you can get to uh, with the time constraints that are on your hands. Are you going for a 27 setup this season or a 23? I will or shoot both? 27s for everything allowed. Because you're not going to shoot the WA indoor circuit this nope. season. No, I'm only going to shoot Neem. I'm not down to go to Bangkok or... So you got to set up a 23 setup. Yeah, I'll have 23 set up. Um, in the past... You know, and hopefully this works out again this year. It's been super simple for me to put on, to go from 23s to 27s and just drop the the rest a touch. I haven't had to do anything else. Um, That might be a factor of uh, my draw length working well with the the stiff spine 27. Uh, I don't know. A lot of guys say they have to tune them. I have not noticed that. uh, Can you move the D-loop up or down a little bit and get that to tune a little differently? Or I always leave the D-loop in the same spot because that way you're not messing with your peep location, I guess. Peep location. Um, the actual location that I'm pulling the string that can have a lot to do with how the bow holds for me. So indoors to outdoors, the, the D loop never moves. It's always in the same spot. I just move the rest up and down. Um, you know, there, you may occasionally have to make a small adjustment to knock point, but I've never found that I had to. So just leave it in the same spot. What's the trends from your pro staff guys and women? Um, women are all across the board. They will shoot anything from 23, 12, 23, 14, 23, 15. Uh, some girls shoot 25, 11, 25, 12 for NFAA format tournaments. A lot of women, uh, well, I should just say a lot of shooters with relatively short draw lengths or that don't shoot a lot of poundage. They really struggle to get the big arrow to shoot. Well, um, it's so extremely slow out of the bow that I think that hurts them as well. So a lot of them tend to go with something like a, a 25, 12 and a lighter point weight as opposed to what, you know, a lot of us are using on 27, 12s. Um, people who are shooting 27, 12, I see a lot of 250, 275, 300 grain points. Uh, most of them cut 31 inches and longer. So a lot of those are going to be Rod Menzer's pro points. Yeah. Yeah. Rod Menzer's pro points are probably, 80% of the line, you know? Yeah. I would imagine. Well, it's a great product, and uh, he puts a lot of passion into that one type of thing, you know? he's, he's yeah. uh, And, of course, Rod, world field champion and mm-hmm. top recurve shooter back in the day. Mm-hmm. Could tell you some stories, but it probably shouldn't because he's a good friend. <laughs> but uh, let's just say that Mr. Menzer wasn't paying attention one time and, and had his uh, – his, um, I'm, I'm trying to be – thoughtful here and say waste bag you know the the bum bag thing you know i can't use the normal american expression because we have british listeners you know the bag that you wear around your waist right so he had one of those disappear on him with his passport and credentials and it was in columbia ah. and it was because he was distracted your waste backpack yes <laughs> okay while he was uh 
while he was at the tournament, he was distracted by a uh, uh, attractive young lady who apparently <laughs> was working with somebody else, and his his bag disappeared. He spent a few extra days in Colum- in <laughs> Colombia without his passport. We may have said too much. Yeah, I think we've said far too. <laughs> well, he was single at the time. What are you going to do? <laughs> We'll have Rod on the show sometime. Oh, yeah. you betcha. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully he won't mind. <laughs> no, Rod, Rod's the man, and his his products are, uh, they've always been good. I've, I've always had good durability. You do see on uh, some some conical-shaped points, I've seen them uh, take bends on the tip or or not be. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's the end use, you know. First and foremost, they all need to weigh the same. One of the good things about products like Rod's products is they make people like us work harder, you know? I mean, our points are better than they were years ago because we had to make them better to keep up with what specialists like like Rod, you know, were doing. So mm-hmm. the points that we sell for, like, the Triumph are really, really good. Yeah. But, you know, um, like you said, a, a ton of people shoot the Pro Point. Mm-hmm. Yep. And for good reason because it's a super quality product. Yep. You pay for it, but it's really good quality. Yeah, it's good stuff. So Yeah. Well, um, so on the 27s, you mentioned that, uh, that all you're doing is just a small adjustment to, uh, to your blade height. Yeah. Anything else? Well, I mean, when, I, when I'm actually going through a, an indoor tune to begin, like I said, I go to a wider blade. Um, I might actually change the blade angle as well. Um, angle, height. Might move it left or right. Just depends on, on what's happening there. But... Um, I've kind of stumbled on a setup that works and I do try to see how a bow will bear shaft tune indoors because I think it's, it's more important than it is outdoors. You have, you know, such a little amount of time to, to get the arrow flying perfectly. Mm. So you want, you don't want a bow that's hucking left or right tears, you know, real big. I, I really don't worry about a small paper tear, but the closer I can get that bear shaft to the fletch shaft, it's pretty ideal. Last year, set the bow up. It was a brand new Podium X Elite. I hadn't shot it yet. That's a Hoyt. Yeah. Um, I shot a fletch shaft into the X, pulled out a bear shaft. And when I do this, I cut the I cut the veins off. I fletch one up, cut the veins off at the base. So you have I some mass the back there. Yeah, I have some mass. And in case there is contact on the I like the adding a bit of tape. Yeah. So And it tubed the... Uh, the fletch shaft. So I thought, okay. Well, yeah, we're good to be go. a sign. Yeah. So that was uh, kind of cool and very easy tuning session. Yeah. I'd like to have it that way all the, the time. The two shot tuning yeah. session. I thought, okay. Because you know, once you've right. tubed the first shaft, you don't want to try another one. No, let's see if we can do it again for good measure. No, yeah. it's probably a bad idea. But, you know, I, I should say after that, I was uh, still kind of just messing with some stuff and I went to. Uh, I ended up shooting our full bore carbon arrows last year and got them shooting good. What I did with those was I experimented with point weight more than I, you know, had in, in the past. Um, now what's the equivalent aluminum diameter on a full bore? It's a 27. Okay. Yep. So yeah, 27 size shaft and just, you know, a lot of folks listening in don't, don't know all this. Yeah. So we got to be true, you know, and I was, I was shooting the 270 spine. We have right. 270 and 350 and, I like that 270 spine. It's a really awesome construction. Well, yeah, it's because you got a six foot freaking draw length. But yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is your draw length? It's like 32, isn't it? And a half. And a half. Yeah. And a half. <laughs> Don't shortchange me. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that one 
I, uh, I experimented with, like I said, different point weights, um, found what worked best. And you weren't messing with, with the bow weight, by the way. No, didn't touch the bow. I like to get my bow where I like it. See the, the feel and the great thing about aluminum arrows is they're so responsive to point weight changes. Mm-hmm. You know, back when I shot aluminum arrows indoors extensively, because it's it honestly it's been years since I've switched to an aluminum arrow indoors. I, I just keep my outdoor rig all the way through the season. Yeah, I shoot my X tens. But back when I switched to, I used to shoot the uh, the Jim Doherty serpents, which were the coolest freaking arrow you could get your hands on back then and just a few drops of solder in a nib point to make a pointed weight adjustment and you know you could dial that in pretty tight and you could get a perfect tune without having to adjust your bow weight yeah that's uh that's the beauty of aluminum yeah like you said with aluminum it is it is ideal i I think on the carbon side point weight still still does matter i don't think it does a whole lot maybe to affect spine i um i'm just gonna dynamic spine interject here and i mentioned jim doherty a dear friend for many years and uh, jim passed away after a long battle a very valiant battle more than 10 years uh with cancer and uh just a fighter all the way through close friend of jim easton uh they used to go bow hunting together and uh jim doherty and his family just always were wonderful to me and i uh i will never forget jim so well sorry to hear that george he was a great guy um and his legacy lives on with his family so it's uh it's a great thing. But, um, yeah, just, you know, going forward here, we have uh, just a few minutes left. Let's uh, wrap up the show by talking about uh, what we got coming up in the next few weeks. I just got back from uh, Japan. I was at the uh, National Sports Festival there. And then I had some meetings with some of the Tokyo 2020 folks, and I met with some folks from some of our our customers like Shiboya Archery to give them a little bit of a preview about some new stuff. We've got some cool new stuff coming through this year yeah some cool target stuff I yeah think, so what about that new psc carbon bow did you see that thing i did see it interesting yeah. isn't it yeah it looks uh, familiar it does yeah <laughs> the, the hoyt guys have got to be just like what what <laughs> if you talk to them you know they if you uh if you listen to the the hoyt engineers present on anything like say at the hoyt dealer school they're they're pretty upfront and honest with those guys about bow design and things like that and and uh, and now it's kind of proven itself. The benefits of a, a bridged riser like the Hoyts have are, yeah. are numerous. Well, I guess the main difference is that the Hoyts are tubular. You know, there's a tubular carbon design, whereas the, the PSC is actually similar. And this is a little before your time, but back in the 90s, PSC had done a carbon bow with a mm-hmm. similar construction, but without that tech-style bridge. Yeah. And um, not a successful bow. It was, at that time, it was more than $1,000. Um, but you know, I mean, kudos to Pete Shepley for trying to push innovation. I mean, you know, he's always, he's always tried to push that envelope and keep the price, keep the price at a reasonable point. This thing's $1,600. Yeah. So it'll be very interesting to see how that goes. Yeah. Um, I mean, know. it's, we're, we're having sat in on a lot of these discussions. We're probably up and around the, uh, the max potential on speed right now. So yeah. The, the changes in bows are going to be... Uh, Unless you have a square four-straw curve, you're yeah. not going to extract much more energy out of those Yeah, things. I mean, it's physics. It's Yeah. There's only so much it, you can it'd be get a tough time. It would be a tough time to be a compound engineer if mm-hmm. you're just trying to sell speed. Yeah, I mean, in today's bows, I think, number one, you got to be selling looks, features. Reliability, yeah, I think, is a good thing. Reliability, 
you know, fit and finish. Well, it's like we talked about a few shows ago when, when we were talking about string materials, right? Yeah. What, why, do you, why do you spend a lot of time and effort to find the ideal string material? So you don't have to constantly chase your tune. Right. So, so it's going to be continuing to be things like fit and finish and quality of shooting, how it feels when you shoot it. And by the way, what a target shooter wants and what a hunter shoots are two different things. 100% different. Yeah. yeah. You, couldn't, you couldn't ask for a bigger difference potentially, especially if you're talking about a high-end target shooter. Yeah. They want that feedback. They want that bow to jump. Mm-hmm. The hunter has got a whole different, whole different set of priorities. Yeah, it's, it's two different customers. Yeah, and, and, and it's good to have you know a lot of competition out there companies like PSC and Bowtech and Hoyt just kind of duking it out and pushing each other higher and higher. And it's kind of cool to watch. Yeah. It's interesting to see what's going to happen every year. Um, I know Hoyt's dropping their new lineup next week. I yeah. Think. Just a couple of days before our sales conference, yeah. our, our, our new product introduction is uh, right around the corner. Thursday, the whatever. Yeah. Thursday the 14th. Uh, yeah. I think you're right. Something and like so all too soon, I'll tell you that. So we've got a few uh, irons in the fire, new new things, and uh, you can follow us on our uh, Easton Archery Facebook site, and just look up Easton Archery on Facebook, and there will be some new product stuff rolling on there, I believe. Yeah. Uh, are you doing that? Are you uh, working on that? I, I may end up doing it at sales meeting. I'm not sure Or yet. one of our CS representatives yeah, might, we'll, yeah. We'll have something so. up. Easton Archery, and then we also have our Easton Target Archery yeah. Facebook page. The one I prefer. Yeah, there will be, you know, tweets and Isn't Instagrams it? It's, it's got and, a funky name. It's Easton Archery Target. Yeah, I think there's a there's a the Facebook thing. Yeah, Easton Archery Target. Yeah, there's a semicolon in there or a, a colon rather. Yeah, it's just Easton Archery Target. Yeah, yeah, no no colon. No. Yeah. Okay. No, just Easton Archery Target, and you'll find it. It's got about one tenth the number of followers as Easton Archery for obvious reasons. Who the heck would think of typing in? You could think of Easton Target Archery, but whatever goofball first set that thing up with the words Easton Archery Target. Should, uh, well, they're no longer with us. So <laughs> It is. Eastern Archery Target, yeah. Yeah. I think uh, Instagram might be the way forward. You know, last year I did the... Is uh, that the trend? Yeah, I, I truly believe. Last year I did the, the new product reveal for Hoyt, and it was hugely successful. A lot of people were totally up in arms because I made them... I did it live from the sales meeting. Yeah, so as yeah I, I remember. That was a big deal. Meeting, I showed it and people were like, man, show us the next stuff. Well, it's an hour away from getting shown. You know, yeah. we got, we got things to hash out. Yeah. This sales me. Yeah. You're going to have to wait. You it's almost either, crashed the internet. Yeah. It's either an hour from now or tomorrow we'll drop it all. So you want me to trickle it out or do you want to just wait all day? So <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's so, not quite as. So since I'm officially an old guy with respect to some of this internet stuff, you have an iWatch on. Come on. That's not the point. <laughs> no, you know, I'm just saying, I'm going off what my buddy Chris Wells said, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm apparently too old to be able to properly navigate the World Archery website. So I'm taking your your advice about Instagram being the future. It's the way forward. The way forward. And and I will I will get an Instagram account. I do not have there one right go. now, but I will get one. All right. Well, I've been using Twitter. We'll have to see what your uh, handle is on the next podcast. All right, we'll we'll come up. I'll need your help to set it up because I have no clue. Yeah, I I have seven photos posted on Instagram, so oh. I'm really killing it, you know. Yeah, but I at least know how. Well, there you go. So that you're you're way way ten steps ahead of me. Whoa, well, sorry, I lied. I am at thirteen photos posted. By the way, Instagram. by the way, we have we have something like fifty seven hundred subscribers now. So, Killing it. Well, but remember what your goal is. If you want to get your salary doubled, your your podcast salary. Oh, yeah. 
It's got to be 10,000. Okay. Right. So tell your friends, tell your mom, tell, tell your coach that Easton Target Archery is on iTunes and that if you have questions, you can send them directly to us at podcast at eastontp.com podcast at eastontp.com and you know we've actually got a couple of fresh questions we might as well take one all right okay so um continued kudos on the podcast from our friend jim uh it's probably a good thing i have unlimited data on my iphone thanks for responding to the previous questions you want to get into this one here yeah let's see what jim has to say here mind your microphone here we are could you go a bit deeper into staying on the line and out of the target i've always been taught to put 100 percent focus on the target which has led to my over aimer problem Um, you've been taught badly jim yeah no actually you know what it's an old school way to have taught people it is you know i mean there was a time when you're you're Entire focus was supposed to be on the target. Everything had to be the target. But like anything else process-wise, you know, a basketball player who shoots a free throw goes through a process. Mm -hmm. A skier negotiating some gates in a giant slalom goes through a process. When I tip my sport bike into a curve, I follow a certain process. When you shoot a bow, you are following a process. You are not just looking at the target and waiting for the bow to shoot it. Definitely not. You're engaging in a process that leads to the arrow going down range. The problem is too many people are taking the target and turning it into the main focus when the main focus ought to be the execution of the shot. And that it, therein lies the rub, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz the target is 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 actually an ancillary part of the process. The main part of the process is establishing your focus, rhythm, and timing for you, yourself as a shooter. Yeah, it's all on you. Yep. And when I say stay on the line, what am I saying? I'm saying keep your focus between your shoulders. Yeah, mentally stay within within your process. Yeah. Exactly. And that's all that means. So yeah. I don't know if that helps, Jim, but uh, you know that's uh, just a little more detail. Uh, maybe he's talking You know, the, the final aim. He's 100% focused on the target and... I well, mean, that's maybe he's, uh, maybe he's talking, you know, between his reticle and the target, focusing yeah. on the target. And I'm, yeah, I can't. Where are say you at that, when you're coming through the shot? Uh, you know, it, I think a lot of that is, uh, subconscious. I don't know if I necessarily am, you know, trying to stare down the X ring because I'm trying to cover it with a dot, you know, so I tend to look at my dot and try to place it in the middle of the yellow. So it's a, it's a placement thing. It's more, my dot and, and finding the location it's at. If I, if I try to stare down the target, I end up peeking. We have, um, an idea. All right. Next section of the question here. Um, seriously considering acquiring an Olympic style recurve. I am completely perplexed about what draw weight to get. I've been told anywhere from 24 to 40 pounds. I'm a 28 inch ammo draw my compounds shooting 57 to 59 pounds for target, so 16 to 18 holding weight, uh, 500 arrows a week, middle-aged guy. So I will tell you that I would lean toward the lighter end of that. I would not necessarily suggest anything over 25 pounds. And and why do I say that? Um, quite frankly, form 
trumps everything. You're going to lose half an inch to three quarters of an inch of your draw length switching from compound to recurve because of the extra skeletal compression that you'll experience. Um, you're probably going to develop better form and have a better release with the lighter weight. You'll, I, but what I mean is by development, right? You'll have a better release with heavier weight. The result mm -hmm. will be better, but you won't enjoy it. And you won't want to shoot 500 arrows a week shooting a recurve if you go over, say, 25, 26 pounds when you're starting out like this. Um, so strictly speaking, um, recognizing, of course, that you're an accomplished compound guy, I would not go over 25 pounds, 26 pounds. Yeah, so he could realistically get some 30-pound limbs and back them out a little bit. Yeah, you could do that there. for sure. You could do that. Um, you know, get yourself a standard uh, compound, or excuse me, standard recurve riser with the, uh, the, the, the Hoyt standard system, what they call the ILF, which is somehow it's an acronym for ripped off Hoyt. And, um, the Hoyt dovetail system. It is the yeah. Hoyt dovetail system. Darn it. <laughs> I think it's actually, it's my good friend, um, Rob Coffold who sort of coined the phrase ILF. Got to make it easier on yourself. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah. I'm just calling it how it is. That mm -hmm. that's stolen from Hoyt. <laughs> we'll just leave yeah, it at that. I mean, that is. A, well, yeah. They they invented the, the darn thing. So everybody and their mother makes one of those now. Uh, everybody, in fact, uh, copies that. Mm -hmm. Win and Win and Kaya and and all those other guys out there. So that's all good. You that's know. fine. Yeah, it creates an industry standard. Which is well, it, it's not though. That's the problem. It's not an industry standard. That yeah, I, I want to point that out. It's yeah. not an it's industry standard. Be. Yeah, but we because, don't see that. Because you you got risers from Italy and risers from Korea and risers from the United States and they all are supposed to take the same limbs and it's BS because they are, there is no document and there is no unified standard for limb interface mm -hmm. unless it's made by Hoyt it's not made to the original specs now win and win stuff works great in a win and win riser you can put win and win limbs in a GMX for sure because half the Korean girls are shooting that um, but you know, it doesn't always work the other way around. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, true. Uh, but I, I would suggest starting out with, especially starting out, because it's going to be easier and cheaper to get limbs. Mm -hmm. Start out with that kind of system and, and work your way up over time. I'd say after about three months um, that, that Jim could, if he wanted to stick with it, over the course of the indoor season, uh, increase his weight to a competitive weight. You don't need much more than, if, you know, a 28-inch draw, 36 pounds gets you competitive, meaning you know, reasonable trajectory on a 70 meter target with a lightweight, you know, with appropriate arrow. So mm -hmm. I would say that, uh, you know, start out 25, 26 pounds and work your way up gradually and try to get a coach because, uh, you know, for all the due respect I have for my colleague, Steve Anderson here, who got to where he is with no coach, <laughs> it sure makes it easier and faster on the recurve side, especially. Oh yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff you can do with a recurve that you don't know you're doing and, and, it's hard to stop bad habits and replace them with good ones. Mm -hmm. uh, once you've set something, it's difficult to replace with another one. Yeah. You don't break a bad habit. You just replace it with a better one. Correct. Yes. Still there. Yes. Still looms. Well, we've got some other emails, but uh, because of a glitch in our system, we'll get to the rest of those in our next podcast. So I'm looking forward to addressing some more of those questions at podcast at eastontp.com. You said that like a professional. Yeah. All right. What is our, uh, do we have a topic for next time? Yeah. Yeah, we do. We have a topic. We for just next don't time. know what it is, but we have one. We, we definitely have a topic for next time. Oh, I have some ideas actually. Yes, we will. And hopefully we'll get some more ideas from our listeners. 
at podcastadeasontp.com. Correct. All right. Very good. Well, that'll sum it up, I think, for now. Indoor season discussion and uh, then going way off into the weeds talking about <laughs> boat companies and, and all that happy stuff. Yeah. So. We're at the tip of the iceberg with the indoor season discussion, but oh well, you know, we're at the tip of the iceberg with the indoor season. So. Yeah. By the way, uh, quite a few shooters getting ready to go to Bangkok in uh, December, and a lot of European shooters getting ready to go to Marrakech also in December. Am I wrong? Late November. On Late Marrakech, November. Think, Marrakech yeah. is first, right? Yeah. Okay. So got uh, got a couple of major outdoor events, but it turns out with the uh, Japanese nationals taking place on about the 22nd of this, this month, that Japan is not going to send their top shooters and Korea is not going to send their top shooters to the Asian, Asian Championship. Ah, Asian, Asian Championship is going to be populated by their B squads. Which are still pretty solid shooters. You got Kikuchi Hideki in there. You've got uh, you've got a lot of good shooters that are going. And, and I'm thinking we might see Im Dong Hyung. Yeah, he was B squad in Medellin. B squad <laughs> Im Dong Hyung. So the people you saw shooting for Korea in Medellin, they're going to be shooting the. You remember who else was there? Mm, no, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, but it doesn't matter. The point is, they're quote B squad. Just about any other country would be more than happy. To come up with a passport for one of those people. Exactly right. So, yep. so we'll look forward to updating you uh, next week with another podcast. Keep the uh, emails coming. We really appreciate them. Keeps us motivated. Hey, we're up to 37 listeners in Japan. Big time. 37 out of 120 million. We're, we're, just, starting, yeah. we're just starting the march toward domination. It's <laughs> Podcast domination. Yeah, the snowball is... is Taking place, but you're halfway to your shape, you're halfway to getting your podcast salary doubled here in the United States with 5,700 listeners. Yeah, zero times two. Pretty good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm impressed. Have a good day. We'll see you guys later. Adios.